0: Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. If you have not tried these, they're awesome. They make grass-fed, naturally fermented beef and now pastured turkey sticks that are high in protein and nutrients and also a good source of probiotics because they're naturally fermented and they're shelf-stable so you don't have to keep them refrigerated. We bring these along whenever we travel and our kids love them all the time as part of an on-the-go meal. I bring them whenever I travel because they've saved me so many times from airport food. And Wellness Mama listeners can get 20% off of any order at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley, all one word wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley. This podcast is brought to you by Good Culture. Good Culture makes amazing cottage cheese. I know, I know, not necessarily two words you put in the same sentence on an everyday speaking, but theirs is awesome, I promise, even if you don't love cottage cheese, because I used to not. Basically, it's naturally fermented cottage cheese, so it's free of gums, fillers, and nasty additives, and it's packed with probiotics. And because it's made naturally, it doesn't have that weird mouthfeel that a lot of cottage cheese has. So I use it all the time in cooking and smoothies as a substitute for other types of cheese, or just as a meal on the go. You can find it at Whole Foods and many other grocery stores, and it comes in yogurt-sized cups too, and those are perfect for a meal. So check them out. It's good culture, and they're available at many grocery stores. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Moms Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and you are going to love this interview, especially if you are a parent. I am here with Carol Gardner Houston, who is a pediatric occupational therapist with 22 years of experience in treating childhood disorders without pharmaceuticals. She is a recipient of the Health System Innovation Award from the National Association of Public Hospitals and Health Systems for serving vulnerable vulnerable populations in her hometown of New Orleans. She's the co-founder and chief medical officer of Brain Harmony, which specializes in applying the principles of neuroplasticity, which we're going to get into, of the brain through the experienced hands of occupational therapists. And her company has provided life-changing interventions in their clinic, in schools, and in homes nationwide. And um, we're going to talk all about that today, but she specializes in the treatment of disorders, including sensory and auditory processing, stress and sleep, speech and communication, behavior, autism spectrum, attention and regulation, learning and dyslexia. And I've gotten a lot of questions about that, so I cannot wait to jump in. Carol, welcome and thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Katie, for inviting me to the conversation.
0: I think it's going to be very fun and very enlightening. So I'd love to just jump right in um, and kind of start at the beginning because I think this is a new topic for a lot of people. So when you have someone come in or a child that you're going to work with, how do you evaluate a child's neurological system and what does that tell you about what's going on in the brain?
1: Well, that's a good question, Katie. We have um, many friends who come to see us and the families are concerned about certain areas of deficits that their children are either not performing in school or they're having a hard time with their peers, Um, they're having a hard time with attention or behavior, and I immediately pull out my pyramid of learning, and I carry this around with me everywhere. And it is a very good way to help parents understand why their child is behaving or performing in the manner in which they are. And when you're looking at the pyramid, at the top are what the families are usually coming in for. Academic concerns, behavior, attention. But all of those areas are dependent upon the organization of the lower levels of the central nervous system, such as vestibular system, the vision system, reflex maturity, postural control, ocular motor control. So when they come into the clinic, we assess their all of their skills so we can get a great snapshot of, of where they are and where their neurological system is and if there are any holes. And when we identify those holes, we have fantastic protocols and modalities that quickly fill it. And then what you see is what comes forth is a more organized, happy, well-adjusted child, and you begin to see more Of who that unique person is as what because before they were trying to sort through whether it's sensory processing concerns auditory processing just different layers of difficulty uh, with them trying to communicate and exist in their environment once you organize the central nervous system you begin to then see more of that unique child which is one of the uh, joys of what we do
0: yeah that's so fascinating and i hear from a lot of parents um usually on just regular blog posts, um, even just things about picky eating or getting kids to do certain activities when they say, yeah, that's great if you have a neurotypical child, but I have a child with, for instance, sensory processing disorder or um, ADD or on the autism spectrum. And so I think a lot of times those parents can feel somewhat helpless, like there's not really much they can do. And that's why I was so excited to get to chat with you because it sounds like um, based on what the research that's coming out and the ability of the brain to change the neuroplasticity of the brain, you're actually able to change that. So can you kind of explain that concept and delve into it a little? What, what does neuroplasticity mean? And then what
1: are some of the interventions
0: that can affect the brain?
1: Absolutely. Neuroplasticity is the theory that the brain can change itself depending upon the type of input that it's given. The idea originated around the 1940s with Hebb's Law, which was which stated that simultaneous synchronous firing of neurons in different areas of the brain promotes increased neural conductivity between those two areas. What that means is is that if you don't have the connections in your brain or the highway paths of information are inefficient, you can just rebuild it. And it's it's fascinating. That idea did not really take hold though. And I mean I've been a practitioner for many years. You know, it used to be we went in, you know, if you had a stroke or a motor vehicle accident or you missed that speech window when you were eight, Um, you just were pretty much, you did a a short stint in in rehab, you got to maximum medical improvement, you were discharged, and then you were just dealt, you know, you had to deal with whatever deficits that were there. That is not how we are approaching uh, rehabilitation at this juncture. Right now that we know we know very differently with the rapid changes of technology that we now have these modalities that are portable, that can fit in a waste pack, and that can stimulate organizing connections in the brain while providing a very calming and organizing input to the vagus nerve, which helps to combat all of those uh, sympathetic types and fight-or-flight responses. I learned much of what I do and the, the specialty of what I do through Dr. Minson, who is the clinical director of ILS and Dr. Porge's work, um, he's the author of the polyvagal theory. They have created these tools that allow for sound frequencies and bone conductions to exercise the muscle of the inner ear, which causes a chain reaction of the central nervous system to organize. And it is changing everything in the rehabilitation of childhood disorders. When I went, um, way back when I went to school, you were either lucky, you know, you were either smart or you were athletic, and then if you were super lucky, then you had both. But if you didn't have those traits and you were presented with a disorganized brain for whatever reason, well, you were tagged with a learning disability or a behavior problem provided with specialized and very expensive tutors, private schools, and compensatory strategies as you limped along through the education process. For many families now, despite the offer of pharmaceuticals, IEPs, expensive therapies, those outcomes have not changed. And the disorganized brain continues. And it seems to be plaguing this generation.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So I think it's there's kind of a um a tendency in human behavior to think that if we can't like really like see something or quantify it, that it doesn't really exist or it doesn't make an impact on it. And I I want to delve into light more later, but I see that when people want to talk about like, for instance, blue light at night affecting your circadian rhythm, people be like, well, you know, you can't really feel it in the moment. So I don't think that's actually true. Um, but I'm looking at this pyramid and I'll make sure it's linked to you in the show notes, but you're talking about things like their posture and their vestibular system and their visual and auditory senses. Um, So I'd love to go a little bit deeper on that. You also mentioned the word the vagus nerve. So can you give a definition of that for anyone who isn't familiar?
1: Absolutely. The vagus nerve is an important branch of the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, It emerges from the brain as the 10th cranial nerve and carries 75% of all parasympathetic activities. The calming, relaxing effect and decreased stress response of the sympathetic nervous system are mediated by stimulation of a branch of this nerve as it emerges onto the anterior surface of the eardrum and ear canal. Virtually all children who have a learning, attention, or behavioral problem are under considerable stress, and in turn, they often lack resiliency and have little ability to calm themselves. When stressed, the flood of chemicals streaming throughout the body inhibits one's ability to take in assimilate, and learn new information. For children at school, this has a compounding effect as they fall further and further behind, creating even more stress. As they begin our protocols, the parasympathetic system puts the brakes on the overreactive sympathetic response, resulting in what can be a profound calming effect. We have a case study that I forwarded um, to you that has to do with a a young boy who came in for five motor delays. And he was not doing well in kindergarten. It was affecting everything from his behavior to his self-confidence. Mom and dad did not have any idea what to do to help. So they uh, brought him to come and see us. And with him, we were able to take a writing sample of him sitting at a desk and he was to write a couple of sentences. Then we put on the integrated listening system focus system that uses sound frequencies and bone conduction that immediately begins to stimulate and calm that vagus nerve. Within four minutes of donning this headset, we had him write Four other sentences. And it's right there, super clear in front of you. You can just see the organization visually on the page, the spacing, um, the legibility of the writing, and just the child's ability to get his thoughts down on paper. It's really quite remarkable. And that's after four minutes. Our programs, when they come into the clinic, and when you're listening in the home setting, and even listening, In some schools during their PE class, for example, at the New Horizon Country Day School, where they have several of their friends don their ILS headset for PE to get that organizing input so that they can function at a higher level during the day. So we um, use these tools for about an hour at a time. And by using it frequently for that uh, length of time and with the amount of intensity that has been synthet- synthesized into the music, you can make long-standing changes in the brain. You just build the highway paths of efficiency that were not there before or if they were not there very well.
0: Got it. And the integrated listening system, the ILS, that is, um, I was looking through your website, that's something that's really well studied. There's a lot of science that backs this up, correct?
1: Yes, it's it's fantastic. And the best part is, is that the outcomes in our clinic are happening so quickly. We've had to hire somebody whose half of her job is just to produce the case studies to continue to get this information out there because there are so many families and so many children that are suffering needlessly when we know that there's these tools out here that is changing everything. And uh, we are producing as many case studies as we can. We've actually set it up that as every person comes in, um, we've already started the case study because it's about 99% chance that you're going to be a good case study that we can share with other families uh, who are still struggling.
0: Wow. And I'll make sure that the ones you sent me are in the show notes as well so people can see them on their own. But um, I love to hear that. I've seen this in friends whose kids have worked with you. Um, And I'm curious, so how long typically, you mentioned even in just four minutes, a child started to see results, but how long is a typical course of treatment? I'm guessing this is not something they have to do like every day for the rest of their lives. So what does a typical course of treatment look like?
1: We give a time frame of three months as a typical benchmark of anyone who comes in to start the program. But hands down, you will begin to see improvements, if not in that one session, um, much less within five days of um, experiencing not only the ILS focus system, but a new addition by Dr. Porges, which is called the Safe and Sound Protocol, which for those sensory friends that you were talking about with the feeding issues. Uh, this is this is changing everything um, we just love the safe and sound protocol it um, calms the autonomic nervous system um, through similar ways with sound frequencies but this one uses music with words in it and it helps to train the inner ear to process human speech better while calming the autonomic nervous system. When you reset that autonomic nervous system, you are decreasing those defensive behaviors, whether it's tactile defensiveness or oral motor defensiveness or behavioral defensiveness, just the general no and just the general, you know, retraction of your hand when you're trying to sue the child. Those things can be incredibly heartbreaking. It just feels terrible if you witness it and we set them up with a five-day listening program with the SSP we call it for short we've created safe and sound rooms in all of our clinics and we teach our parents to set them up in their homes as well and the child dons a headset and listens to the music for one hour at a time for five days in a row it trains their inner ear to be able to respond better to your voice when you are attempting to soothe them because it has opened and exercised the social portal in the human system. And as mammals, we are all intended to be social creatures and actually require it to survive. But for whatever reason, we have lots of friends whose social portal has not been activated yet or has not been activated very well. And then when they go through this listening program, you can begin to see the eye contact. That's not, they're not picking their head up and looking at you because you've rewarded them with a Skittle. They pick their head up and they're looking at you because they're trying to talk to you through their eyes. And you can feel it with your heart. It is that interpersonal connection between, that is uniquely human, that is really what can change the entire human experience for the child and their family. And from there, you can build skills on top of that because they're now teachable. And it's, it's really quite exciting. And we have um, parents that send us text messages and emails and videos. And they'll come in six months after the SSP and say, my child is now eating, listen to this, four years old. My child is now eating salmon and steak. When before, she could hardly get her child to drink a smoothie because she was trying to pack so many nutrients as much as the mom could in a smoothie. That's how she would get her to drink her nutrients. Now she's initiating, May I have some of that salmon. She chews it and swallows it. It's I just haven't seen anything like that ever.
0: (laughs) That's incredible. And I'm so glad. This is why I couldn't wait to have you on the podcast because while I'm super grateful that I've never – Um, had to go through with this with any of my children. I have close friends who have, and I see in in these moms and the dads, like the pain and the struggle um, of seeing their child go through that and also the frustration it brings to the family. Um, And I know like when I get questions from readers that this is obviously definitely something that is very real that these children are struggling with. So I love that there are now things that are helping. And I feel like getting um, a child to wear a headset is so much easier than a lot of other interventions that they've tried over the years. Um, Like my kids love to wear headsets because they think like that's what we do when we're on our computers and it's super cool to them so um that's awesome that this is something that's a very like low i would guess low resistance intervention that has such a dramatic effect so quickly and i'm curious so you mentioned like these areas of the brain are not all activated and it seems like at least from my perspective and the number of questions i'm getting things like sensory processing and autism and these other disorders are on the rise do you have any ideas as to why we're seeing an increase in these right now
1: Yes, and that is one of the other reasons why I love your website, is the topics of your podcast are the conversations that the moms are having with me in our waiting rooms, our families are asking me on the phone, although I am not a physician, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a pharmacist. Um, but I can share with you the uh, trends that we're seeing in the community. I can share with other families what is working for them, because all of those things that you're touching on, everything from um, uh, genetic abnormalities to uh, food sensitivities to um, uh, we're actually seeing a trend uh, with uh, increased number of in vitro fertilization children who have been conceived that way, or having some some you know they have all their pieces and parts, but the actual flow of the information and the functional output, there's some deficits there. But again, we can we can tighten that up with a good listening program. But there's all these different factors that come into play for each unique child. So. Um, I would uh, encourage the listeners to to begin to ask those questions of why this is happening, and begin to listen to your podcasts and begin their journey on finding why it's happening specifically for their unique child.
0: Yeah, I think that's you're so right. It's a whole body approach. It's not like one single thing that's changed, Um, and. What I'd love to go deeper with you on, um, obviously like it's great that you have these headsets that are very unique and amazing acute interventions for children, but I know from talking to friends that have worked with you, you also do a lot of like physical interventions in the occupational therapy side, just simple movements that kind of help rewire the brain. And I'd love to go deeper there because I feel like if I have seen one change even just in kids that I see and interact with on a daily basis, kids move so much less than they did even when I was a kid. And like we used to walk on balance beams and hang off of things and jump off of things and we were constantly moving and doing things that now a lot of parents would tell their kids, not to do because they're dangerous, but we were always doing things that I feel like kind of address points in that pyramid that, um, that interact with the brain in certain ways. So I'm curious, first of all, do you see the lack of movement or the changes in movement in children, um, playing into this at all? And also what are some of the ways that you are helping children through movement in your practice?
1: Absolutely. Um, it, it hurts my feelings actually to, to, uh, see what it, A decrease in movement that's allowed for children or what they have available to them. And when you reference that pyramid of learning, the reason why that lack of movement has such a negative impact on the entire development of the child and for the adult human also, um, because based upon the neuroplasticity of the brain, the brain knows no age and no diagnoses. So there is no ceiling for for anyone, no matter how old they are. Um, And this Pyramid applies to them too and when you're looking at it, it's my favorite new word If you don't know this word, you're gonna love it. You should embrace it. You should google it. It's wonderful It's the vestibular system It is the first system to develop in utero and it is your innate ability to know where you are in space or in other words, your sense of balance. And it is uh, not so much your balance with your eyes open because you're using your vision system to help compensate for any vestibular balance weaknesses. It, we measure it with your eyes closed. We have very coordinated athletes who come in um, who can do nice, wonderful, fantastic things with their eyes open, but as soon as I ask them to close their eyes, they fall, they fall over. And the vestibular system is a primary building block of the central nervous Nervous system, all other skills including speech, attention, coordination are all dependent upon that solid foundation and every time you don that ILS focus system it has a bone conduction piece at the top and it speaks directly to the vestibular apparatus inside the ear and inside the ear then connects to all the muscles uh, in the face and all the muscles around the eyes and then further connects to the brain and stimulates connections. They do that by gating, filtering the classical music to impact certain parts of the brain. So, for example, if you uh, if if speech and communication is something that um, has plagued your child. We, of course, would start with the safe and sound protocol to open up the social portal system. But then after that, we would add the focus system because that music has filtered out other frequencies and has has focused on the mid-frequency range, around 750 to 3,000 hertz. And in that range, as the information is sent to your brain, it builds phonetic decoding intonation, it speeds up processing, it improves speech and language, it improves reading skills, memory, concentration, and attention. It is the only way to go if you're working on speech skills and if you're going to therapy and they're not using this tool, then they're just way behind. They're trying to manually create changes in the brain and they're beautiful, wonderful people, but it's just not fast enough, which means it's just just too expensive and it's just too time-consuming when there are other tools out there that can speak straight to the speech part of the brain. Then you ask them to speak. Then after that session is over and they're at home by themselves and a friend comes over and they self-initiate conversations that they haven't had before, it's like it's just magical to watch it happen and it it happens all day long here every day um, wherever the therapists are it's it's really quite exciting
0: wow and so I'm thinking of trying to think through practical examples of this so you said that the vestibular system is one the first to develop in utero so I would guess then even like a baby's movements in utero are impacting the development? Or I would guess like crawling, is that something that like impacts the brain in a certain way? Like I know they say it's really important that your baby crawls and they shouldn't skip crawling. What is, does that actually help the vestibular system develop?
1: Yes, absolutely. And, um, you definitely want them to crawl. You don't want to be one of those moms who says, ah, my child skipped crawling and they were walking in 16 months. Every time my hands go to my head, I'm like, nope, get them, on, get them back on the ground. And we, um, we put them through exercise. Absolutely. Think about when you're crawling, you're alternating your legs and your hands, your head is looking down, your eyes are tracking, um, hands and the head, you're in prone extension, you're building the muscles of the back, you're building the muscles behind the neck to hold the head um, so that that you can perform basic human functions Um, and with all of the wonderful um, baby shower gifts and all of these wonderful plastic toys that are are immobilizing our children or or even for safety reasons the uh, the car seats that we put our children in it's got them in this collapsed you know, fetal type of position and then back when I was um, you know, carrying my kids around, they would fall asleep in the car I was all excited and I would say okay shh, let's unclick it and let's bring them in and then we'll keep them in that position because they're sleeping, I don't want to wake them up um, and then after that if you would take them out, they woke up. So you're like, okay, so you, you played with them a little bit, but then you put them in another contraption. When actually, what would be most beneficial is the floor. We need them to roll and tumble and crawl and, may, and, and figure out the lizard crawl and the army crawl, which are all not only helpful for brain development, but very important in reflex maturity. That is one piece of um, the magical programs that we put in place that really does. Um, springboard the child out of um, uh, a lack of full development. Um, a trend in the community that we're seeing is not only these very weakened vestibular systems because they're not outside; um, they're not um, they, they they have too many contraptions, whether it's the iPad or anything that keeps them physically contained. Um, but then also they they have these; they still have these very primitive infantile reflex patterns. So for example, we're all born with uh, reflexes that help us survive outside of the womb, like the rooting reflex when you strike your baby's, when you would stroke your baby's uh, cheek, they would turn to breastfeed. And the Babinski, where you scrape the bottom of their foot and they lift their legs and to begin to walk. Well, those are all there for a purpose, but they're supposed to be integrated by about year one, and for whatever reason, the trend is is we've still got nine, 10 and eleven year olds with infantile reflexes that are keeping them in in the that keeping them from developing coordination skills, ocular motor skills, and even emotional regulation. So it's really quite fascinating how you take all of these pieces that are typical OT type topics that are in Um, Very typical OT settings. You work through these protocols, but if you add the ILS system to that same session, you are going to see exponential results. You can see changes from one week to the next. So much so that it's really fun when you have a new employee or you have an OT student who's come in for training and they've just started and they'll, the, the second time that child comes in, they'll pick their head up and they look at me and they go, did, did you see that? Did you, I, I think that, that I really think I'm seeing some changes <laughs> and I start laughing every time. Like, yep, I saw that. Let's write it down. So it just, it happens that quickly. Um, and it's very exciting because when you're talking about developmental delays or children who are years behind and they're re- Level, we just don't have any time to waste. We have we have lots of time to catch up, um, and this is the best, most efficient, and the most long-standing interventions that I've I've ever worked with before.
0: That's so fascinating. And if for anyone listening, if you're driving, um, all the links and everything, Brain Harmony is Carol's website. That will be in the show notes if you guys want to find it. And there are, I believe, systems that people can use at home for the ILS,
1: right? Yes. And that is um, one of the most exciting aspects of where our company is going now because we are no longer in the space. What do we do with these children? We know exactly what to do with the children now it's about accessibility to care so if you can't get to us because we have three clinics in the panhandle we have one in Grayton, one in niceville and one in fort walton beach but that's not everybody in the country can get to us but that's okay we will ship you the modalities and we will coach you through telemedicine over the internet and we will we can assess some reflexes some basic skills we will um Create a personalized listening program for your child and give them the specific exercises to do while wearing the ILS to exponentially. Experience those outcomes that they're looking for, Um, and those are that that is happening much more quickly now. Um, Sometimes even friends here locally, um, you know, say they're teenagers. It's really hard to get a teenager in their schedule, not only their academic schedule, but they have extracurricular because you're trying to you know support them with moving and being part of teens. So um, and their caseload. So it's hard to chisel out an hour. So instead, we bring them in the clinic. I teach them a series of exercises specific to them, we train them on how to use the modality and they go into their home and then they they consult with me either once a month or once a quarter. And what we're really doing is fine tuning the program so that they can continue to get weekly input you know five or six times a week as opposed to being dependent upon getting to the clinic for neurological organization we want you to have the tools we want to give you the cliff notes we want you to have everything you need to be to get that organization and graduate from us
0: That's so great. And I love that technology is allowing that to happen. And I'm so curious, and I would definitely encourage everybody to check that out, especially if you feel like your child can really benefit. Um, But I'm also curious, just from like an every mom listening type perspective, if there are things that we can do starting with a very young baby to help support the vestibular system. And like, how can we set up our homes and our yards to kind of encourage kids to do these things that they should be doing to get their brain to wire correctly from an early age? Because I'm envisioning like things like Like our kids, we do gymnastics bodies with them. So we're like balancing and trying to do handstands and stuff. But are there things as parents, like what can we facilitate that will help at least promote to whatever degree we can in the home environment, a good vestibular system?
1: I would limit the technology. I know it sounds easy uh, to say, and of course, it's a whole lot harder to implement in your home, but it's not, there's, there's a lot of negative things that happen with the use of the technology all the time as their central form of entertainment for a child. But to me, what is the worst part is what they're not doing when they're on the technology. And I'm not just talking about even if they had, even the we, I mean, the we had some movement in there, but you're not tumbling and rolling. I mean, we need actual flipping over, rolling down hills. Um, We do need the the outside of the climbing, the alternating, and we need for them to um, fall over. And we need for them to get um, skinned knees. And we need for them to reach and build things and use their hands in a in a dimensional world not on a flat screen because i will tell you that the other trend, another trend in the community is my friends don't have convergence and divergence skills. And that is the ocular motor skill that's required for near to far point copying and so when, and, and for depth perception. So what that means is that when a child is sitting at their desk and they have to look at their paper, both eyeballs have to come in and converge so that they can uh, see clearly the close-up images. But then the teacher writes something on the board and begins to speak, the child has to pick their head up, their eyes have to diverge apart as a team so that they can focus on something far away, then store it in their brain and bring it back to their page, converge, and then have the motor skills to get it out on a piece of paper. So many things have to be going well in order for that to happen. And if that child is only looking at a two-dimensional screen, they're lacking that ability to perceive depth and then to um, be able to function within it. So we're beginning to see children who don't jump. I mean, that might sound hard to believe, but they don't like their feet to leave, a ground, leave the ground, which is absolutely a flag that their vestibular system is so weak that they don't know where they are in space. That's why they're not about to leave the earth. Um, they're also the children who will not climb up a ladder to go down a slide. That's way too dynamic of movement for them to say, okay, I'm comfortable where I am with space, even with their eyes open, to attempt dynamic movement. Because you And you'll see it on the playground. Um, you'll see the, the a, a more uh, typically developing child who's going to go running into things and crash and jump and play and gregariously explore all of these different pieces. Um, But then you're going to see that other child who is playing lovely, but the feet aren't leaving the ground and they are very stationary and they might pick their head up and watch what the other children are doing, but they're not about to go try it because it's too overwhelming for their system.
0: Wow. That's, yeah, I've, I've noticed that actually in playgrounds that some children definitely are more comfortable staying on the ground. And that makes perfect sense because if you don't have that space and um like your perspective in the space where you are, you wouldn't want to change it. That totally makes sense. So then with things like in a backyard, like a trampoline where they're jumping or like a balance beam or monkey bars, would those be good examples of things that we could incorporate?
1: Absolutely. I love all of them. And we have all of those things in our clinics and we have treadmills and bicycles, and um, all of those are incredibly helpful. Um, the, the bike is very interesting, along with the swimming. The swimming and the bike are very interesting. Um, those are great activities to expose them to, but I can tell you, though, that There might be a level of frustration when the child cannot perform alternating arm and leg motions like swimming the crawl in the pool, or they're not able to coordinate their breath, or they're not able to coordinate the balance piece of riding a bike with their legs going one way, their arms going another, their head and eyes tracking for obstacles. All of those things not are only dependent upon a secure vestibular system, but also upon um, reflex maturity, so that they can separate their extremities from their core and their eyes from their head. So if you are try- if you've created these beautiful environments in your backyard and you've got them the sparkliest uh, bike in town with a, with matching, you know, knee pads and a, a, a helmet but they refuse to get on that bike, you can begin then to start to say, huh, I think I might notice that something's not quite right. And it's when the something's not quite right is a great time to come to get a nice um, baseline of their neurological system, as opposed to um, not fighting about it, but trying to force the skill on the child because I I see that frequently. Um, But when, In the end the child just doesn't have the neurological skills yet to do it. We organize the central nervous system, we integrate the reflexes, we build the vestibular system through our listening programs, we increase the the communication with by opening the social social portal, then the child can respond better to what you're trying to teach them with bike and swimming and then their body is able to do it. And with that, One of the other sparkly things of having our job is that um, there's self-confidence. All the parents are so concerned because they have such poor self-esteem and lack self-confidence. Well, of course they do. If you can't get your body to do what you want to do or you're on the same playground with your peers and you are terrified of the slide or you can't, you know, cross your body and and do a jumping jack, or much less cross the soccer ball across the field because you can't cross midline, that's incredibly frustrating. But it just doesn't have to do anything on whether or not you're, quote, athletic, or have those skills, or that's not your personality. Let's come in, get a nice neurological baseline, give you some central nervous system organization, integrate your reflexes, then put you out there on that field and see what you like to do. And then that in itself is self-reinforcing, continues to build your vestibular system, and you see sequential growth, all of those things that the parents want to see for their children.
0: I love that. And I love how obviously passionate you are about this. And I love you and your languaging that you keep saying things like they don't have those skills yet. And you're not, there's no, um, it seems like everything is just in process and there's nothing that can't be helped. And I love that, that there's finally something that's very tangible that's helping children. Because I know, like I said in the beginning, these are huge frustrations for a lot of families. And I'm so excited that we're getting to, to delve into this. This podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. If you have not tried these, they're awesome. They make grass-fed, naturally fermented beef and now pastured turkey sticks that are high in protein and nutrients and also a good source of probiotics because they're naturally fermented and they're shelf stable so you don't have to keep them refrigerated. We bring these along whenever we travel and our kids love them all the time as part of an on-the-go meal. I bring them whenever I travel because they've saved me so many times from airport food. And Wellness Mama listeners can get 20% off of any order at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley. This podcast is brought to you by Good Culture. Good Culture makes amazing cottage cheese. I know, I know, not necessarily two words you'd put in the same sentence on an everyday speaking, but theirs is awesome, I promise, even if you don't love cottage cheese, because I used to not. Basically, it's naturally fermented cottage cheese, so it's free of gums, fillers, and nasty additives, and it's packed with probiotics. And because it's made naturally, it doesn't have that weird mouthfeel that a lot of cottage cheese has. So I use it all the time in cooking and smoothies as a substitute for other types of cheese, or just as a meal on the go. You can find it at Whole Foods and many other grocery stores, and it comes in yogurt-sized cups, too, and those are perfect for a meal, so check them out. It's good culture, and they're available at many grocery stores. So how early can someone start using the ILS and is there like a cutoff when it stops working as well? Like do our brains ever get set in stone or can it help adults as well? Because I noticed like um, when you're saying these things, like my kids all have great balance and climbing and all this stuff. And I'm like, if anything, I probably need to work on my climbing trees and my balance. Like is there a maximum age? (laughs) <laughs> there is
1: not a maximum age. The neuroplasticity of the brain knows no age and it knows no diagnoses. So, that is very exciting because there is no ceiling for anyone, no matter what condition you're in. I've had experience with traumatic adults with traumatic brain injury and stroke with the use of these, um, these tools along with Parkinson's and it's absolutely fantastic. We had a woman who sustained a traumatic brain injury to the occipital lobe 10 years before using these tools, which means she went through uh, the insult, she went through rehab, they put her on a bunch of medications, they say maximum medical improvement she's on disability and um she's gained a significant amount of weight because she's too dizzy to get up and move around so once we started with her and after a short period of time she began her memory began to be better she began to drive a car and she now has a full-time job and this was 10 years post insult i mean i it's it's so exciting that it's almost unbelievable. I mean, you just want to get to the top of a mountain and yell it to everyone. So pay attention. Listen, you just you don't have to take what you felt you've been giving, given you. There are so many things that we can do to help. Absolutely. Whatever. Skills your brain does not have. We just build the connections. So um, stroke is, is super fun too. Um, I love that. And um, wherever the brain does not have the connections because the stroke has the bleed there, or it has um, you know, tissue death, the brain is always working for homeostasis, and you've just given it classical music, groovy sound waves to rebuild those connections around the insult and function returns. It's it's really quite exciting. And then since we ship these tools to the home, the child is the catalyst that brought us all together. But it's the parents who've been carrying this the whole time. So we frequently encourage the moms and dads to don the headset and do their listening program also. Why not? You have the most powerful tool in the world in your home. Let's use it. Absolutely. Like with all the research, because I'm a
0: nerd that likes to read um, PubMed and just see what studies are coming out and with all the research I've seen about the vagus nerve and about the central nervous system and um, like the way we're seeing brain changes throughout society. I think that's a super amazing tool that people can use. And I'm um, so really like, really, you could use this even on like a small, like a baby or a toddler, if they started showing signs of um, like not completely neurotypical behavior, you could use it even on a young child, right?
1: Yes, 18 months of age is the earliest that I have used um, the ILS. And we've actually uh, have a very interesting and comical ways to <laughs> have an 18 month old tolerate wearing the headset. But we have these little pediatric headphones, and we have these 1970s like thick. Uh, headbands and we usually have the mom um, or dad bring the stroller so we've got them in there and we begin to get them used to tolerating the headset uh, while they're while we're rolling them around and then once they get used to that we want to get them out of the stroller as soon as possible and then we get them walking and moving and putting them on the balance beam and my favorite tool is so easy it's a ball on a string I mean, a ball and a string, it's, it's so easy. You hang it in your garage, but then tapping on the ball with a racket or their hands or their head, or some of them try to lower the string and do their feet, or you can lower the string and drop it into um, some objects to knock them over. All of those are depth and ocular motor types of activities, which are just another way to build a, a basic human skill that contributes to the functioning of the whole system.
0: Yeah, or even, I don't know if it's the same thing, but like tetherball. That was like a mainstay of my childhood was playing tetherball with my brother. Um, And that's kind of that same hand and eye coordination thing.
1: Absolutely. I love tetherball. Plus, you just get to pound on something. I mean, you you need to have the outlet to pound on something instead of your sibling or instead of the furniture um, because they are kept up at school all day long and they're trying so hard to maintain. By the time they get home, you can either give them the opportunity to uh, exercise some of that energy in tetherball and some, again, we use therapy balls and clay um, and wonderful resistive types of things and then we pair it also with some decompression time and these we call them the safe and sound or sparkly rooms and they have very low light and they have little white sparkly lights and they have lots of sensory toys in there so you can help them to transition um, frequently sometimes from school um, you can tell the state of the child when they come in the door and when their hair sticking up and they're just puffy eyed and they just look like they're one step away from a meltdown I frequently don't use words at all. I just smile at them and we go into the sparkly room. And within um, two or three minutes, I hand them the headset and the headset begins to have meaning to them because If they have experience with it, they know that it makes them feel better. So frequently they will ask for the headset or they just go ahead and don it. It settles the central nervous system. Their face begins to calm. They initiate conversation and then we get to work. So not only do we do that in the clinic setting, Families then can replicate that in the home setting, just like you said, like setting up your backyard, um, the trampoline and the the tether balls and the things that they can pound on. And also, though, making sure that you change that environment when it's time to start, you know, uh, changing gears and getting ready for dinner and slowing the body down and doing all the things that you need to do to take care of yourself by lowering the lights and the beautiful music that um, I've I've heard you uh, talk about on your podcast and in some of your writing you know you change the tone of what's happening in the household with uh, the music and the lighting and having them uh, connect with each other as they begin to slow down and of course at that time would not be the time to have the television on On would not be the time to have those iPads for all the reasons why why you've you've clearly explained to all of this. And at this point, it's just the logical choice not to include those after seven.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I'm curious, do you have any high performance athletes who are using this for the central nervous system benefits? Because that seems like something that could be really beneficial to a high level athlete or performer.
1: Absolutely. we. Lo- I love working with my child athletes. So both of my children are soccer players. So we're out on the soccer field all the time. And if you spend any time here at the clinic, um, you will learn how to stand on a soccer soccer field sideline and you'd be like, oh, yep, that one's got a retain moral reflex. Oh, yep, that one that one won't bend over to go get the ball. And oh, that one. I mean, you can diagram um, a neurological system very easily on the soccer field. And what happens is, is that when that one child is, is not performing up to their peers, they begin at a certain age to feel that they're a liability on the field. So the uh, parents will bring them in, we tighten up the vestibular system, we integrate reflexes. Um, lots of uh, adult athletes are doing lots of vision therapy, because that's your first line of reaction and defense. And if you've got really great um, ocular motor skills, then you can respond a millisecond more quickly than your uh, opponent, which makes you that much faster. Um, then if you have integrated reflexes, you can separate all of your extremities from your core. And if you have an intact vestibular system, you can perceive what's behind you without the use of your eyes. So we love working with the child athletes, making them stronger, faster, and smarter
0: that's so cool. Do you foresee this I mean I wish I could like wave a magic wand and have this just integrated into schools. But do you see this ever being integrated into school s- systems? I'm just thinking all the benefits that would have for kids in their learning.
1: Absolutely, and we are working on those partnerships every day because it is not everybody can get to us. And so we want to it we just want to get them access to the tools and so we have private schools who actually um, have one of the units on their shelves let's say like at a Montessori school so that the individual can choose it like a calming program um, which is it's just a what a gift to give to these children. um, And then we also, like I said, we have that one school who is using, there's actually several across the country, but that one I have hands-on experience of of integrating the use of the ILS and the PE class, which is fantastic. That way everybody's running and jumping and you've got four friends inside that group of 10 and they all have their ILS and their 1970s thick headband and uh, jumping around and tumbling and having fun and getting stronger and catching up to their peers. and they're no longer, you know, the last in the in the race. They're starting to make strides. And it, it is really just a joyful thing to watch. Um, but I do wish the schools would move faster. It's not fast enough for me just because I see I see suffering. And then it's very difficult. It makes me nervous. It makes, it makes me not feel good when I have to walk by suffering children when I know that I can, I know there's something that I can do. Um, so we're continuing to educate the uh, educators and the superintendents and um, politicians. And anybody who will give me five minutes, I, I, I'll talk their face off.
0: <laughs> That's so awesome. I think we're very aligned in that. That was kind of the reason I got into the whole health world and into blogging was just seeing what the statistics look like for the next generation and what my kids and everyone else's kids were going to face. And I think, like, you're in there right there with me and addressing it from the mind side, which is so cool. And again, I would encourage everybody to check out your website and to learn more about it. Um, what I like to ask for the end sometimes. If anybody listening is definitely resonating with this and thinks that this can help them, um, especially moms at home with kids who maybe are struggling through some of these things, what would be a couple baby steps that you would suggest to start? Obviously, I'm sure that the ILS can be drastically helpful and hopefully they'll check out the website, but are there other things like a couple baby steps that you would recommend?
1: Yes, I would look into writing a list of some of the idiosyncrasies that you're seeing for your child. Um, And you can begin to look up things such as sensory processing reflex maturity you can check out um, our website is a wonderful resource integrated listening systems website is a fantastic resource Um, and you begin to collect information but i don't want you to get scared of those big diagnoses that are out there i don't want that to intimidate a family to where they're dragging their feet to, to reaching out for help because you do not need a diagnostic code for help if you're just looking for fine motor or handwriting that's a beautiful thing to come in for now or if just coordination is something we don't need these large diagnoses and quite honestly you should come and get some neurological organization first before you reach out for a neuropsych evaluation if you are concerned about one of those larger diagnoses because let's say for example attention Well, many people will go to the pediatrician and they'll write them a script for, you know, ADHD medication or they'll get or they'll go to neuropsych first and go through a bunch of testing and then they give them that diagnostic code. Well, everybody's really good at giving a diagnostic code, but the treatment of it is what's so sincerely lacking. And so with attention, I always go or if they're not reading well, I always go straight to oculomotor. I, I need to find out if you can do the basic functions that are required for reading. If you can't do saccadic eye movement and you can't keep your eyes on the letters, which make up words, which make up a sentence, which makes up an idea, well, yeah, you're not going to have reading comprehension. Um, so let us tighten up your neurological system. And then if after that, there's anything that doesn't shake out, then we refer out for um, other types of testing. Um, but for the most part, we are Uh, changing diagnoses, um, or the severity of the diagnoses.
0: So great. And lastly, I'd like to ask kind of selfishly, but um, both as a blogger and as a friend of people whose children are struggling through some of these things, are there things I can do? Like, what are the best ways to support the parent and the caregiver? Because I know that that's an extreme stress on a lot of parents. And so both from um, my voice when I'm blogging and also just in personal relationships with friends, what are some of the ways I can support those parents too?
1: that uh, sh- is a very sensitive topic for me um, just because as parents ourselves and, and managing children with different needs at different points and us managing so many children and watching the condition of these caregivers when they come in um, I was introduced through um, dr. Mary in New Orleans uh, a tool called the alpha stem and the alpha stem helps to produce the alpha waves in the brain which combat anxiety insomnia and depression without the use of pharmaceuticals it's approved by the FDA and it was developed in the VA system well as soon as I, I saw that you know their hair sticking up they've been crying they're just consumed and overwhelmed with either the characteristics that their children are presenting um, because it's 24 hours seven days a week or they have just received a diagnosis or the school just called again and they had to come pick their child up so um, I I purchased an AlphaStim and began to leave it out for the moms Um, so that they could get some, some relief while their children were getting some neurological organizations and by the time that they left everybody was in a different space. Um, and that tool was so wonderful working with the, the moms that I called the company and said, please tell me I can use this with kids. And they said we could. So now that's another tool that's um, there for us to use um, in the clinic setting. Um, but those moms are, are really dealing with something that, if, like you said, you know, you're super lucky if you have neurotypical kids. Um, otherwise, you know, that mom is going to be further isolated from um, being able to do the things that, that, allowed for her to recognize who she was before she had children. Um, and they're isolated. They don't, uh, they can't go to all the things they used to go to or they can't go to it as frequently. Um, they get overwhelmed with the financial burden of trying to reach out or trying to figure out how the family is going to approach uh, or address these types of things. So, um, listening to them, um, helping them. Um, sometimes I just send, um, uh, grocery gift cards every once in a while because they just it's it just everyday life can sometimes just be so overwhelming so to provide that listening voice either the phone or going to visit um, child care is also an extremely difficult thing to um, obtain so you can always just go to help um, and to continue to provide them with connecting them with other families who are going through the same thing for example here on the emerald coast we have the emerald coast unique kids which is run by a mom and uh, we meet once a month and we all sit around and, and have a couple cocktails and we cry and we laugh and and we just help each other feel better and we share information this is working for me did you see this no i got this oh and and this just came for me so um by doing that you're able to um continue to fight through a day that might sometimes feel incredibly overwhelming. Um, but together, you build that network, you keep each other together, um, you build that support group, and everyone can continue to grow, not only the parents as adults, um, not only the child, but the family as a whole. And then, of course, the larger community on top of that, that Because we all exist within a school and that school exists within for some within churches and the churches can exist within a community and we will all evolve together. Um, And that, I think, is uh, a wonderful thing to keep in mind.
0: So awesome. I think this has been super helpful. And I know that hopefully a lot of people listening are getting so many things that they can take and benefit from in their own families. But Carol, thank you so much for your time and being here. This has been such a fun interview. And I know that you're going to help a ton of people through this and through your work. And I just appreciate you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Katie. And, And I think the same of you. Thank you so much for your hard work.
0: Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I hope to see you next time on the Healthy Moms podcast.